Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, featuring thoughtful conversations and insight from experts, change makers, and leaders from the business world. For today's episode, I'm super excited to be joined by Elena Valentine, CEO and co-founder of Skill Scout Films, a media company that has helped some of the most iconic brands tell their stories, including Nike, McDonald's, American Airlines, and CBS Health. Elena was also recently profiled in our Faces of HR column, which is linked in this post on our website, so you can access that. And please, uh, on July 20th, she will also be teaching a virtual recruiting masterclass. So if you're looking to jumpstart your video recruitment journey, you don't want to miss this timely event. Don't forget to register. But Elena, how are you today? I am doing well and, and excited to be in space with you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Same here. Same here. Elena, tell me, what is your definition of having a seat at the table? Having a voice. And not just about having a voice. I think what we start to realize is that in order to have your voice, it's about finding it first. And we spend years oftentimes looking to understand what that means. And so it's You know, to me, having a seat at the table is not only am I ready to to speak and and share and know that I am here for my ideas, my approaches to be supported and implemented, recognizing that having a seat at the table means that there are multiple other stakeholders there as well. And yet, too, it's also knowing that uh, to have a seat at the table means that you are also ready because you have an opinion and you've been able to do the work before you you got there to know exactly what needs to be said and how it needs to be done. I love that. I love that. Of course, we know what is it almost three years now into to COVID. The workforce has changed, I think, and, and many people do as well for the better. When you talk about having a voice and you talk about being ready as well, I also think about uh, being your authentic self. Uh, How important is that to be in that space and to be your authentic self in today's workplace? It is quickly becoming the status quo. We certainly look to these next generations who are so much more globally connected, natively connected to technology in ways that we don't have other generations doing. And certainly the level by which they express themselves and share themselves. You know, for some, they might call this generation, this newer generation coming up as the artists. And to me, when I think about that, it is because they are coming to workplaces with the expectation that they are there to bring all of their selves, all of their identities, really, is what this is. The intersectionality of all of this um, starts to become the priority. What we saw, really, from how work was developed was that there was personal and there was work. And you left all your fears, dramas, traumas, 
personal at the door before stepping in. And yet the challenge becomes work is so personal for us. And part of why we're talking about authenticity here is also recognizing that the conversations that we're having around the meaning of our work and the purpose behind our work, that was not something that my grandparents' generation had vocabularies for. They were just starting to figure this out in the world of psychology, let alone of work. And so that is, is really, when I think historically of kind of where this is and where our trends are, um, you know, coming into your workspace, knowing that you can share and be unapologetically gay, unapologetically black, or whatever these identities are, um, that there are spaces not just that are safe to be able to do that, but that spaces where you can feel celebrated to be able to do that. And when you can do that, may we expect that people can do their best work for you at that organization. Absolutely. And I love how you call this uh, the new generations, if you will, the artists, somehow some of them are calling them the artists. I think that's fantastic. So we have them in the workforce. Uh, well, actually, no, I'm skipping a step. Recruitment, right? Of course, that's your field. Do you have any advice for HR leaders, excuse me, HR leaders, how they can recruit the artists? Any tips there? I don't even think it's about artists. In many ways, it's not even necessarily about younger people. And, and this is something that you know, evidently has become my stake in the ground for any part of my life, including work, which is how are we fostering storytelling cultures in ways that enable our companies and our people to really share stories of what it's like to work there, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, because stories move people. Just like Patty Deeg said, the shortest distance between two people is a story. And our workplaces are filled with people. And what we know is that as humans and as candidates, we're not moved by data. We're moved by emotion. And you know what's jam-packed with emotion? Stories. And so what we are seeing certainly is the, the shift and the embracing of this shift from legalese job posts and job descriptions that often felt very transactional to one where we are now seeking to make these emotional connections with candidates immediately. You can do that through story. You can certainly do that through video, which is a powerful medium to do it. But it's the emotional connection piece here, uh, which can help drive uh, an uptick in recruitment. Course, stories are jam-packed with emotions. That's also something that we don't often talk about, talk about, excuse me, in the workplace as well, right? Our emotions. You, like you said, you leave all that at home. We're here to get our job done. We're here to do this. Also, keywords uh, or some would even say buzzwords that we're hearing a lot in the workplace today, too. To your point, empathy, right? Vulnerability, uh, being kind and genuine. How important are those uh, in the workplace today as well? as well, excuse me, those emotions, especially when we've never considered them before. What comes to mind most immediately for me is the vulnerability piece. And I say that 
because as a business owner, as an employer, I remember really reflecting on the power of what it means to be a vulnerable leader. And what that means is being able to really share sometimes both, not even necessarily my personal, but recognizing ways in which my curiosity shows up and my openness to feedback. That's part of vulnerability here, is what are ways that I am showing genuine curiosity about my colleagues, about the work, The questions are always the answers. That's part of vulnerability. And then it's my openness to that feedback, which is not, in my experience, something that comes one time a year in an annual 360 survey, but one where I want to feel like I have a pulse on how I'm doing, right? especially because I take my role as an employer and business owner very seriously because I'm constantly asking myself, even in one-on-one conversations, what have I done to not set you up for success? What can I do to set you up for success? That's vulnerability. And it doesn't have to be anything more than that. I think the challenge when we talk about vulnerability, and I used to see this as well, is, okay, vulnerability means getting real personal. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability means showing this level of emotion, and it doesn't have to be. To me, this is just about having kindred curiosity and being open to feedback and modeling that because that's what we want for the rest of our employees. So it comes up for me when I hear those four terms, certainly is is vulnerability being one of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of that goes into culture as well, which is always top of mind. What do you think is going to take to cultivate and keep, right, an engaged and productive workforce? Well, if that's not a loaded question, if we figured it out, we, we wouldn't have so many disparate experiences. But if I had to turn that back on myself and ask, what does it take to maintain an engaged workforce? What most immediately comes to me is grace. It's grace. Grace, especially now. What we've been challenged with in many ways, and it's been both a blessing has been that work has now come into our homes. And when we talk about things like vulnerability and empathy, there's a level by which we need to kind of rewrite our soul contracts with how work is done, especially because they are coming into our our homes, which means that we can't necessarily not just play by the old rules, but yet... We have to be collaborative and open. Ooh, that is the city right there, everybody. (laughs) Um, We have to be, I think, collaborative and open to how 
our work streams change and also giving our people grace because what we are seeing is a level of a mental health epidemic that we have never experienced before. Where this used to potentially be a lot easier to put on the facade and mask before, we can't do that anymore. And so certainly there is this balance to have the the checks and balances in place to understanding how are my colleagues feeling today? Uh, What is it that they need? What are their blocks? So, you know, my company, we have something called a daily stand-up. It's called the YTB in G. I added something new. It's what did I do yesterday? What am I planning on doing today? What are my blocks? What am I grateful for? And I want to touch upon specifically around my blocks and my gratitude, right? And the grateful. Blocks being, okay, like here's what's going on. And and it's important to be out in the open because that's ways that we either need to start showing grace or figuring out, okay, how do we step in? Because this is a block to what you plan on doing today. And yet what I've always known from the research and the data around positivity is you wake up in gratitude. And so ways in which I certainly can model that every day by sharing my gratitude, and it's not mandatory, is such a beautiful way that I've seen our team connect even just over a a few short minutes um, around celebrating someone's gratitude. And that helps. That's amazing. I love that. I'm sure it does. Waking up in gratitude, uh, a foreign thing for for many, uh, it may be. It's something I've been practicing lately, too, and it certainly makes a world of difference. So I can only imagine how that feels and how that takes shapes uh, at work, you know, with your uh, team, with your community, that has to be a, a very beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. It is beautiful because, especially because we've always been a remote first organization and certainly because of COVID, we weren't traveling as much. We weren't seeing each other. You have to try to find small, but not overt you know, odd ways of just making a simple connection with somebody. And what I found for me was I added a simple G to my daily standup of showing my gratitude. And I love it. And I love seeing others. And I love being able to kind of start that day with people because it helps to remind all of us why we're here and why there's really nothing in our day that could go that wrong because we're in this together. If we can be vulnerable enough to share our gratitude, we can be vulnerable enough to just do great work together. I love that. And it also sounds like you're grounding as well. That's what happens before the day starts. You're grounding, you're getting your feet on the ground, you're getting your head in the game, you're coming together, you're connecting, you're collaborating, and then you're going out, like you said, you're doing great things together. Exactly. It's like my morning work prayer, really. Morning work prayer. That's amazing. Where do you see corporate culture headed? Where do I see corporate culture headed? Well, corporate culture changes with people and it's changing with skills. And if we look at what has happened significantly during COVID, the way we work, 
the way we communicate with one another has significantly changed. And so what that looks like now is you have managers who were trained to manage people in person who now have to learn what that skill mix is like to support hybrid ways of working. And we are still in the thick of it, but where we are headed certainly now is this mix of hybrid where many of us are being called upon to learn new skills, new skills of communication, new types of capabilities. If I look at the world of HR, significant changes in how we have to start supporting our, our people. That absolutely changes what used to be everything from the spectrum of random water cooler moments to what holiday parties look like, because that's the connective tissue here. That's the connective tissue. And it's interesting to start seeing how we're starting to integrate or think about how we would like to integrate that connective tissue back. Because when we first started, you know, two and a half years ago with COVID, it was just like, oh, hot damn, can we at least, let's just get back to work. Do we have jobs? Can we keep our jobs, right? And I think everyone was just really on board to try to figure out, okay, yeah, like we got to do this. We don't want to get laid off or maybe we do, but like we have to make that. And now that that is now sussed out, now that we've proven we can be more productive, now that we've proven that we can work from home and work from home for long periods of time, then the question becomes, where does this connective tissue, where do, where do our human connections, where are those milestones and those points? That's changing significantly for us. And I think that that's certainly a core. And also what we're seeing is mental health. We have more people feeling like they are working and overworked now than we ever have before from an ethos. That's a very serious challenge. And so what we're tasked now is having an entire, you know, workforce feeling overworked. And as leaders, you know, in many ways now what we're saying it is our responsibility to figure out how do we set appropriate barriers for people to scale back enough to feel like they can still be at home. And so in many ways, when I think about corporate culture, I think more ways than one, what comes to me truly is, great, let's, let's have fun working together. And yet, may I create space in your day, in your week, just to be a father or to be a husband or a wife, or a friend, or anything else. So to me, it's not about what the corporate culture is. It's like, how am I supporting your family culture? How am I supporting, you know, who you are as a community member? That, that to me, I think, you know, especially being a remote first organization, it's always been, hey, we can have great work together, we can do this. And yet, if what we can do is make sure that you have some important time off, great, because you need it. 
So that is kind of what comes up most for me when I think about where I'm seeing significant shifts in corporate culture. Of course. And I, I love that, that whole thing. It sounds like a lot of intention there, right? It goes back to that grace that you're talking about. It goes back to the vulnerability uh, piece that you mentioned as well. I love that. I love that. Is there any, I've got one more question for you and then we're, we're done, but is there anything else you'd like to add or talk about Elena? I think in promotion of the master class I am teaching, which is around jumpstarting your video recruitment strategy. Video is becoming the status quo. We know this. And yet what has what used to be a nice to have years ago for someone in talent acquisition, we're really having to flex our marketing wings here. That's what this is, right? Except we have the challenge of not just showcasing the great. We got to showcase what are the challenges here too. The big difference between what we do is recruitment marketers or storytellers in our space is we can't put lipstick on a pig. We just got to share that pig. And there's nothing wrong, right? Like, and I think like we have to embrace and accept that in our stories, and especially now as they continue to evolve and our cultures are evolving because of this, it's important that we show that. That's vulnerability 101. Our stories of recruitment, our major corporate lessons of vulnerability 101 and that as recruitment leaders as the gatekeepers of these stories may we lean into that level of vulnerability in how we tell them i love that my final question for you elena what's on your heart what is on my heart in this moment is finding moments in my day to take restorative breaks. Because what we're also finding here too is despite the world opening up on a daily basis, my practice needs to be one where I can feel completely restored after each task. So what's on my heart right now, Bianca, is restoration. I love that. Thank you, Elena. Thank you for being here. I truly appreciate your time. I appreciate you, Bianca. Absolutely. To our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. And remember, you can always listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time at the table. And as always, we'll have your seat waiting for you.